Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Eric. Hello, Ward. Are we finally figuring out this technology thing? I thought we were, but now all of a sudden you were just breaking up for a little bit. Are you serious? Like just for a quick second, but that's all right. I think we can push through. I think it's going to be good. We'll see how it goes. So the listeners know the garage doesn't have the greatest Wi-Fi. Now that we're extra dependent on it, even to talk to each other, it's sort of a, an issue with production value. But now we have a mesh system in the house <laughs> that I'm moving furniture and misplacing electronics uh, previously stationed in places in order to get you, the listener, the greatest possible sound. So you don't miss one iota of sound when i go i was trying to set you up to do a pigs i know you were but you just got caught you got caught in an austin powers allow myself to introduce myself <laughs> it, it is safe to say that there are not two people doing a podcast that know less about how to actually do a podcast than you and me could not be less prepared <laughs> Could not be less educated, less prepared, or less proficient in anything technical needed to make this podcast serviceable. It's weird. We're really motivated because already these people have to listen to our voices and occasional opinions. It should at least have high fidelity. But unfortunately, we're absolutely ungifted in the technical world of anything. You know what? You're absolutely right. We can basically just plug things in. That's about the extent of our technical knowledge. But thank God when we do plug things in, we are powered by I didn't take a deep breath before that one. But I heard all of it. So it's an improvement from the last time we tried to do this intro. It's an improvement and also a curse. I almost started beatboxing to that one, but I'll Ooh. save it for another time. Yeah, the remix. The remix. So Ward, we got something kind of exciting going on today for us. A first for us. It's, it's a grown-up thing to do, I think. It's, it is, we're all grows up. We were contacted by a wonderful company selling some wonderful glassware about a, a partnership. This glassware is something that the listeners will enjoy 
as much as I have in the days since I received a free box of the swag. And the only reason we agreed to do this is because you got the glassware with these incredible IU logos uh, on them. And you, you took a picture of it, sent it to me, and you're like, we got to do this. You know, I think everybody who listens to us knows we don't do ads. We aren't behind a paywall. We don't ask for money on Patreon or one of these other things. That said, there are some expenses in what we've done for the last year and a half. We've both spent some money. It hasn't been free. The only way we make any money on this to mitigate any of these costs that we've poured into this podcast is if you actually go buy the glasses. We're not getting paid just to read this stuff as much as we would love to be paid to read it. We want to actually help our partners that we like sell their product. They're a business. Everybody's struggling in this time, but everybody needs something to drink something out of. So it's collegegradshop.com backslash classic dash shop. We'll repeat that again and we'll tweet it out too. But here is the question, Ward. What is a backslash? Is that the one that goes from upper right to lower left or upper left to lower right? Which one are we doing? It's the one that's always in all websites. Have you ever heard forward slash? No, but I couldn't tell you the difference. If a backslash hit me in the face, I wouldn't know if it was a backslash or a forward slash. I have no clue which one it is. All right, I'm going to give you this. It's right below the question mark on the keyboard, okay? (laughs) It's part of the same key as the question mark. It's pretty appropriate that it's on the same key as a question mark because even (laughs) even the keyboard doesn't know what the hell a backslash is. But we know that these glasses are beautiful. They're all official emblems and logos from Indiana University over different eras. So the first one's from 1921. The second one's from 24. The third one's from like 5051, which was the first year of the Little 500. And the one I think the listeners are going to go most crazy for is the actual logo design that was on Assembly Hall Court from 1976 to 1995. And the logos are this beautiful, elegant, classy, frosted. You got to do the line. You got to do the line. Oh, and I yeah, want to hear this. They, they gave us a line that we have yeah. to read. This is so funny because this is the stuff I always make fun of on other podcasts and radio shows, but I'm so excited to hear Ward read this and try to make it sound natural. Don't miss a chance to have a piece of Hoosier history. Purchase your exclusive historic IU glassware today at collegegradshop.com backslash classic dash shop backslash. <laughs> oh, there's a backslash <laughs> at the end of it too. But you don't need that one. I don't think so, but I'm going to say it at least once in this plug just to be sure. So look, we're having fun with the glassware stuff. The truth is we're giddy, and we're giddy for two reasons. One major reason and one other fun reason. The first one, of course, is Ward. Tell people what we launched last week. Reasonable Rabby versus the Hoosier Hysterics. People were... We're going with video now. You can see faces and expressions, and I'm not saying it's always pretty, but it is pretty entertaining. <laughs> we, we apologize for much of it uh, in advance, but yes, we uh, launched a video series last week on pigs.com where Ward and I represent uh, the craziest, most insane, most irrational, unreasonable, lunatic fringe of the IU fan base. Nobody we know, of course. Yeah, of course. I was going to say we are card-carrying members of. Oh, yeah, that too. Uh, 
which is why we started this podcast in the first place. But we basically embrace that role full on, present the reasonable and esteemed Jeff Rabjohns with those crazy positions that we see on chat boards and on Twitter. And we have Rabby talk us off the ledge. We released the first one last week. We're going to do it every Thursday. Episode two is coming out this Thursday, but it was really fun. It's just always fun to get Rabby on the horn and just, you know, chop it up. Yeah. And Eric has done a wonderful job adding some graphic elements to the show, which I'm sure the listeners who we can call now viewers for reasonable Rabby versus the Hoosier hysterics will will get some delight. It will distract from our faces and put attention on other humorous aspects of what we're doing. But the real reason we're giddy is because of the gentleman that we're talking to today. It's an interview we did a couple weeks ago. We were giddy before it. We've been giddy since. We will be giddy until we are old, old men talking about that one time in Ward's garage when we got to talk to this gentleman. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we love bringing you conversations with great Indiana basketball players. But today, we get to bring you a conversation with the gentleman who is arguably the greatest Indiana basketball player of all time, Eric, please let the folks know just a few of the many, many, many accomplishments of this incredible guest. We are talking to a gentleman who came to Indiana in 1979. He started every single game that he played at Indiana. He won two Big Ten championships. He won a gold medal at the Pan American Games in 1979. He's number one all time in assists for a season and also has the number nine season as well in his two years at Indiana. He is number two best all time season in steals. He is eighth all-time in steals after only playing two years at Indiana. He is first-team All-Big Ten both years. He's an All-American his sophomore year. He was the outstanding player of the 1981 NCAA title game. We are talking to a college basketball Hall of Famer inducted in 2007, one of only six IU players in history to have that honor, and an NBA Hall of Famer, one of only seven Hoosiers to make that great Hall of Fame. We are talking to one of the greatest players who has ever played the game of basketball, and he is a Hoosier. We are talking to Isaiah Thomas. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Hoosiers! (laughs) (laughs) Love it. In the house. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that warm welcome. Our pleasure, man. I've been waiting a long time to do that one. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, I, Isaiah, what's, you know, we, we talked briefly before we got rolling here on uh, the craziness of the world these days, but you're obviously one of the busiest guys around. How are you occupying your time right now when we're all trying to keep our social distance? I have done a lot of podcasts, uh, print interviews, radio interviews, NBA TV, and uh, Turner TV found a way to keep us busy every single day, every single hour, and I feel like we're, we're working more now than we do during the regular season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I know is keeping you busy, 
And it's a very appropriate thing for someone who only knows winning in his life uh, to, to be associated with is your incredible champagne business. Will you walk us through for the fans out there that that want to uh, taste a little bit of the bubbly? Can you can you walk us through what you're doing in the in the world of champagne? Uh, thank you. Our, our champagne is called Sherlon Champagne. It is uh, the fastest growing champagne in the United States. Uh, we have 200 acres over in the old region of France, Champagne, which is the oldest region of France, Champagne. And um, we've been in the States now uh, close to three years, and our partners are 450 NBA players. Wow. And we've, um, we've had quite a, quite a nice run here in terms of uh, you know, people wanting the champagne, the demand for the champagne uh, has really been through the roofs, and we're, we're pretty happy about the success that we've enjoyed thus far. Now, it's true you can only call it champagne if it's from that region of France, right? Everything else is just sparkling wine? Yes. This is, this is the real deal. Uh, it's not, it's not a, a sparkling, and it's not a Prosecco. Uh, we... Again, we have 200 uh, acres over in the Ob region, and all of our champagnes are the first press of the grape. Uh, all our champagnes, again, are low in sugar, zero sugar. Most champagnes that you drink and have been served here in the United States have been second and third press of the grapes, uh, regardless of the name on the label or the marketing behind the champagne. It has still been second and third press. Uh, we we bring you the best of the best. We bring you the first press. Consequently, um, most people who drink champagne, a lot of times they complain of a headache, or they if they drink too much, they physically throw up. That's because you're drinking uh, champagne that's made from the third press. Our first press champagnes uh, give you a zero headache, and you can uh, enjoy it uh, as much as you want. Uh, but you know. Definitely drink responsibly. <laughs> You'll drink it and still be ready for the morning shoot-around. Uh, if anyone listening has traveled outside of the United States, you know, when you go overseas and you're, you're drinking champagnes or wines or what have you, uh, most of the time, uh, you know, you can have a pretty good time and wake up the next day uh, and feel pretty good. That's because you're not drinking a lot of sugar and you're not heavily loaded and sulfites. Uh, so we are low in sugar, low in sulfites, so consequently you can enjoy it. All right, Isaiah, I have to ask this as we get into your basketball story. We're here in 2020 talking about first press of the grapes. Did you ever think growing up in Chicago, Illinois, when you were learning the game of basketball, that one day, a few decades later, you would be talking about first press, second press of grapes for champagne from France? I had no idea what <laughs> champagne really was. <laughs> and, and honestly, and this is a true story, the first time I, I actually tasted grapes is when I was a, a freshman in college going into my sophomore year. I just met my, uh, my girlfriend, who, who is now my wife. I met her uh, in Bloomington, yes. and she actually lived in Chicago. She had grapes, and that was the first time I'd ever taken grapes, and, um, and I, I enjoyed them, but never thought I would, I would understand uh, the grape as well as I do now. 
we only use the, the Pinot Noir grape, the Pinot Blanc grape, and also the Chardonnay grape. We do not use the Pinot Monet grape. Pinot Monet grape is a fast-growing grape in Champagne that a lot of the mass producers use to mask the, the imperfections of their champagnes. Uh, we only use three grapes. We do not use the fourth grapes in term, the fourth grape in terms of the Monet. She had no idea what she started when she gave you those grapes. I want to go back to even earlier, there was a commercial I watched in the 80s. I believe it was a local commercial where there was a young kid in the city, it was dusk, and he was shooting hoops, but it was with a tin can. He didn't have a basketball. And his mom calls him home for dinner. Isaiah, dinner time, he comes running home, and she surprises him not not just with dinner, but with a basketball. Is there any truth to that origin story, or or how did you find the game of basketball, and how did your mother and all your older siblings encourage that? We we all found the the game of basketball uh, actually through the through the park uh, that we that we went and played at, but also uh, through our school um, at the local parish. We we went to church at Our Lady of Sorrows, and we played in the CYO with is the Catholic Youth Organization League, sure. and all my brothers played there. Uh, so consequently, I was the youngest. We had babysitters or nannies or anything like that. So everywhere they went, I had to go. And just watching them play, watching them love the game, it also taught me the, the game and how sacred it was. So that commercial, when you talk about uh, the can and, and the basketball, uh, that was... Um, Almost true, but you know, instead of it being a basketball, she gave me a roll of socks and said, "Play with this." House. <laughs> so Isaiah, growing up, uh, starting to play basketball. Obviously, your older siblings were playing. When did it click for you that this wasn't just something to do for fun, but that you had a real skill and talent for it, and that this could take you uh, further than just playing, you know, for fun? I remember those days, the NBA. Television um, in in '79, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, Larry Bird, the Philadelphia 76ers. If you remember when when the Lakers played the 76ers in '80, that game was tape delayed. Wow. So we, the NBA dreamed that everyone, or the narrative that everyone has kind of crafted, that was never really a, a goal or a dream of mine growing up. All my goals were geared towards uh, law school, also uh, education. The, the NBA dream and, and narrative, um, you know, was, really wasn't a, a part of, um, you know, the, the, the get out of poverty story uh, that so many uh, kids and we talk about now. Um, you know, the way out of poverty back then, uh, it was stressed that you, you had to get a good education and you had to uh, either go to the military or, or get a job. Your prospects started to change as you, you got into high school and you were starting to be recognized as an incredible player. And uh, a coach from Indiana came a call in. And could you take us through how Coach Knight went about recruiting you? In particular, there's a, a pretty famous visit of when he came to, to visit with you and your family. We'd love to hear about that. Yeah, when, when, when Coach Knight uh, actually came to the house, 
um, you know, when when I started getting uh, letters uh, to, to go to college, I remember my mom and my sister talking to my high school coach and saying that they were worried about how I was going to be able to get to college. And I remember my, my high school coach uh, brought a box of letters over from colleges because they always sent the letters to the high school and he saved them. And we didn't know anything about, you know, scholarships or anything like that. Um, and Mr. Pingatra said, I, I think he's going to be all right. And he, he won't have a difficult time uh, going to college. He can, he can get a scholarship to college. And that's when he started explaining the process to us. And from a recruiting standpoint, I remember uh, we had narrowed it down to uh, three schools. It was Iowa, DePaul, and Indiana. And my mom really loved um, all three coaches. But when Coach Knight came to visit, uh, he, he really sealed the deal when he brought in Quinn Buckner and Wayne Embry. Uh, Quinn Buckner was a, you know, a, a local, you know, hero to all of us, played at Thornridge High School, was undefeated in, in high school as a high school player, uh, won the state championship. Then he goes to Indiana and he's undefeated at Indiana and he wins a national championship. And Wayne Embry played, you know, with the Celtics, with, you know, with, with Bill Russell and uh, the first African-American president GM uh, in the NBA. So Coach Knight walks in with those two and my mom is like, okay, um, I, think I, I think I like this guy. And so when, when Coach started talking, we, all of us, you know, me and my brothers, we were all there. And he said, you know, you know, I'm going to promise your son and I'm going to promise you guys three things. A, your, your son's going to be a gentleman. B, I'll teach him everything about the game of basketball that I know. And C, he'll graduate from college. And at that time, schools had been offering us all kinds of money and, and jobs and everything else. And, you know, we were as poor as poor can be. And, you know, so all of those gifts that they were giving actually sounded really good to us sure. as a family. <laughs> but my mom, um, you know, being um, the smartest one in the family, uh, made sure that, you know, we didn't accept any of that. And we ended up uh, going to Indiana where she made the choice for me to go to Indiana. Back then, um, you know, well, nowadays, kids decide what school they're going to go to. My mom called the press conference and said, my son has made his decision. He's going to Indiana University. And, and that was it. Were, were you on board with that decision, or it didn't matter? It was just whatever mom said went. Whatever mom said went. It didn't matter if you were on board with it or not. That's... That's just how it was. Now, there is some urban legend, I think, about that in-home visit, that there was some confrontation between Coach Knight and maybe even one of your older brothers or something. Is any of that true, or was it a pretty run-of-the-mill visit? No, that, that's all true. Um, you know, when, when we were when during the course of the visit, um, my mom asked the question, uh, and we were all sitting around, and my and my mom asked a question, you know, because, you know, we had just come out of the, uh, the, the 60s and civil riot. 
athletes and everything else. And, uh, and my mom asked Coach Knight uh, the question. She said, you know, um, you know, the Klan is, is very present in Indiana, uh, particularly, you know, in, in um, you know, the areas of Martinsville and so forth and so on. And, and if anything was to happen, who would protect my son? And uh, Coach Knight, uh, I thought he, he was really, you know, kind of smart the way he answered the, the question because he put some humor in it. He said, well, if, if we're winning, uh, they will protect him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and we all kind of chuckled and we thought that was kind of, kind of funny. Uh, but my brother didn't take too uh, kindly to that Ooh. comment. And, uh, you know, he, because he, you know, again, coming out of um, that time uh, in the 60s, um, you know, my, my brothers and my family, and we all had been to the marches in Chicago, uh, had seen our neighborhood really burned down uh, after Martin Luther King had died. So, you know, they, they didn't find humor in that comment. And so my brother, um, you know, kind of, you know, went back and forth with Coach about it. You know, to Coach's credit, he stood his ground. And I can, and there was silence, you know, in the room for for, for a minute. And I can see my mom kind of looking at Coach and, you know, nodding her head, you know, like, yeah, I really like this guy. And we were all <laughs> like, oh, man, this, is, this is not going to be good. <laughs> but uh, her and Coach and I had a great relationship. And, you know, every time I, I speak to him or, or I've seen him, you know, he still to this day, he um, he talks about, you know, the relationship that he and my mom really had and how they respected each other. Isaiah, when you think back on that time of your life, are you as amazed as, as I think Ward and I both are in hearing how your mom, who, who did come out of this very difficult situation, as you said, uh, you know, financially, it was a struggle. And here she is being promised finances from other places for her son to go somewhere and get an education and play basketball. And somehow she had the moral strength to say no to that, to make sure that you went to the place where she thought you would be best served as a, as a man coming into his own. That is remarkable strength from a human being and, and kind of the definition of being heroic. Uh, what's your what what goes through your mind when you think about your mom in that in that way? You know, I I I, I look back and I, I thank I thank God and I thank um, you know just the the universe that I was I was so lucky and blessed to have a um, you know a mom you know who was just that solid you know right. as, as of, a, of a person and and of a human being uh, because. You know, when I when I say we were we were poor, and you you put it mildly when you said we were struggling, man, we were we would have been happy to struggle. <laughs> you oh, man. Know? Wow. We were we were we were below that. Uh, but but my mom never compromised herself or her values, which taught all of us, uh, you know, a great lesson growing up. Uh, and to see that to see that actually play out in front of your own eyes uh, and to have that example set uh, in front of you, it was a really powerful message for all of us uh, to, 
to kind of hold our moral compass and and set it straight. So mom makes the press conference announcement. You're going to Indiana. Now, most most guys going down there as freshmen, they'd have the summer to kind of get acclimated, even early fall to kind of do their own thing. But you got thrown right into the deep end of the pool. You were on the Pan-American team for coach night along with my fellow Peruvian Kyle Macy and a bunch of other great players. And you're playing an international competition representing your country. And some crazy stuff happens down in Puerto Rico. What did that experience teach you about the coming years that you would play with Coach Knight? I I had, you know, I I had never really been that far outside of the United States uh, going to Puerto Rico. Um, And even though uh, we had, you know, traveled, you know, in my neighborhood, you know, a different neighbor, different blocks and so forth and so on. But actually getting on a plane and flying to a, another state, that was that was my first time or, or, you know, being on a plane and traveling like that. So uh, and then being involved in international competition, uh, you know, I I had no idea who who was who and what was what, so to speak. <laughs> and I remember uh, I remember we were getting ready to play the the Cuban national team, and um, the night before, it was John Dorn, uh, Cal Macy, uh, Sam Clancy, and I think Mikhail was with us. And uh, we're we're all in the cafeteria, and you know we're we're walking around, and and so when I when I saw uh, when I saw the Cuban national team. You know, I, you know, I said, hello, you know, I gave him the, the brother nod and, you know, hey, what's up, brother? You know, so and, so on. and I never forget. They looked at me like I was like I was crazy, you know, and I was like and I said to John Dorn at the time, I go, oh, man, why why they not speaking? He goes, hey, man, we did. We, we USA. They Cuba. Like, why you think they ain't speaking? And it, and it still didn't, it didn't dawn on me like, you know. We were at odds with each other. Right. I just thought we were all brothers. And, you know, everybody was like, you know, what's up? Hey, how you doing? It's going to be a game tomorrow. So You weren't up uh, on your uh, geopolitical conflict in, in 1979. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just trying. I Really, only thing I was trying to do is get to the cafeteria and get some food. The only, the only thing was on my mind, you know, since I was born in 61, and from 61... To 79, my main thought every single day was, where can I get something to eat at? Wow, yeah. <laughs> that was my first thought of the day. So you went from playing from one legend in Gene Pingator in high school to now playing for a legend really in the making in Coach Knight, obviously came off of the 75-76 teams. Um, what was it like when you got thrown into practices and game competition with Coach Knight in those Pan American games. I I love to play, and I I look back on it now. You know, I was only you know I, seventeen. I had just turned seventeen, and I was playing in those games, and you know, playing a very important role in the games. And I had no idea of you know when they say uh, you know when what's the what's the saying when you when 
naivety is bliss. Something yeah, like ignorance that. is bliss. Uh, ignorance is bliss. Um, and, you know, being naive at that time, I was just going out trying to do the best I can and make Coach happy and, and win the game. Uh, I had no idea of the type of pressure that we were under. I had no idea of, you know, playing for a gold medal and, and all of that. It, it just didn't register to me at the time. Uh, so whenever I got in the game, I just looked at the guy who was guarding me and I just kept saying to myself, well, I know this guy can't guard me and I, <laughs> I, think, I, can, I think I can beat him. I think I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've watched him warm up or whatever, but I think I can take this guy. That, that's all I was thinking. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking anything else. And fortunately enough for myself, it worked out. Yeah, it did. You guys won the gold medal. You get back to Bloomington now for your freshman year. And, you know, you guys are everybody at that point still in the shadow of those great mid-70s teams. Um, but I was kind of wondering who who you look to for leadership and advice. And looking at Mike Woodson on that team as a senior, was he somebody you were able to, to start to glean off of what it was like to play for coach now in Bloomington? Uh, well, well, Woodson was on that, uh, that Pan Am team, and Woodson was the one who, you know, the main person that recruited me to, to go to Indiana University. And, um, you know, Mike, Mike was my hero then and still is my hero today. Wow. Uh, and, and I think yesterday or the day before was his birthday, and I called him up just to, you know, to tell him that the, the type of role model that he was and the mentor that he's been for me, my life, and, and my family, we, we still thank him today for that. Uh, Woodson uh, and also uh, Butch Carter, you know, those two as seniors, they were very influential in terms of making sure that uh, I as a freshman and in our freshman class really did the right things on campus, really went about the, the right way of preparing and, and how to be and, and how to play for Coach Knight. I'm curious, Isaiah, not to skip ahead in your freshman year, but you, you talked about ignorance being bliss with the Pan American games. I'm assuming before you got to Indiana, and maybe even while playing there, you didn't have a real good sense of how much Indiana basketball meant to the people that support the program, the fans, the people of the state. Was there a time while you were playing at Indiana where that became apparent to you, how important and meaningful you were to to everybody that supported you, which is not just the 17,000 in Assembly Hall, but the entire state? Uh, you know, I, I really didn't... I really didn't realize how important um, I was to the university and also to, to the state of Indiana until I actually... Um, you know, was was thinking about leaving and, and going to the NBA. Wow. Uh, while I was while I was there, uh, you know, the love and support that that you got as a as a student and also as as an athlete, uh, that was that was given to everyone. Uh, so I I don't I wasn't just singled out as as someone to to love and 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 that. The, the the basketball community was affectionate about. I felt that our whole team 
uh, felt that love and and was embraced by 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 Indiana that way. But when I was leaving, uh, that's when I realized that okay, this this is important. And I remember George Telefero uh, coming to my apartment, and and he was talking to myself and and Tony Brown about you know what this meant in the in the bigger scheme of things uh, because no player at that time had had left uh, Indiana and had left Coach Knight and in the statement that that I was making by doing that. Um, you know, would, would be a big thing. And I, I still didn't, I still didn't understand it or grasp it. Uh, but, but Papa T, George Telefero and, and Jimmy Ross, uh, not only did I, did they make sure that I left the right way, but they also made sure that I came back every summer and went to school along with my mother and my, and my girlfriend who became my wife. Uh, um, I went to school every summer uh, and I paid out-of-state tuition to come back. To <laughs> well, at that point, you could afford it. Yeah. <laughs> and but 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 being being around those kind of people and and uh, Dr. Wiggins and making sure and they made sure that I understood the significance of not only playing for Indiana but graduating from Indiana. How important that would be for me in the long run and um, the the role model and mentor that I would be not only for Indiana basketball, but for the state of Indiana. Yeah. Also. Which is exactly what, what you have been for, for the better part of 40 years. So, uh, but I, kudos, but I, but I gotta tell you that, you know, at, at, at 18, you know, you, you didn't understand that, you know, I, I speak from a, I speak from a place now where I do understand the significance of it. But I was so happy. I'm so happy, and I was so fortunate again that I had people around me that 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 steered me in the right direction and helped guide me and give me that type of influence to to be able to 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 have this conversation today and speak from that type of perspective. Now you started that season number one in the country like the expectations are huge and you you run into a number five Kentucky in one of your very first games you guys lose that one what did you learn about the rivalry with Kentucky in that what that meant to the the program in the state and about what you guys would have to do and you individually to really maximize the potential of this team and not just rest on your your preseason ranking and all the hype around the talent i'll never forget that game um i believe we lost that game 68 to 64 69 to uh, 58 was that was, was that at kentucky or is that the, yes. the following year at bloomington i'm sorry the following year at bloomington they beat us 68 64. right um the, the the first year my freshman year at kentucky uh they they gave it to us uh pretty good uh there and uh, uh cal macy had a, a a good game uh the the rivalry you know i had never played in a game that intense before and I never knew, um, um, how can I say this? I, I, 
I just I just hadn't felt that kind of intensity before. And Sam Bowie and I, who was on that Kentucky team, Sam and I had become a uh, you know pretty good friends in in high school, and and I remember you know I I went to say hello to Sam and 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 Boo was like Nah man we we getting ready to kill y'all and I'm, I'm like well, well what's going on and you know but again you know understanding the rivalry and the intensity of it and and getting the chance to play in it and experience it. Is one of those things that I'll never forget. Uh, and as you can see, the I still remember the scores of the games yeah. and the plays that happened within the game uh, because the, the memories were so fresh and the rivalry was so good. Well, one of the things, as you know, because you were back not that long ago to commemorate uh, not just obviously Coach Knight being there, which was amazing, but the original impetus for everybody coming back was to recognize that year's team. And one of the reasons that that team has stood the test of time of being one of the most beloved teams in Indiana history is you went through a lot that season. Randy Whitman, who was going to be a key contributor, gets injured in that Kentucky game that first year. Mike Woodson ends up hurting his back, and he goes out of the lineup for about two months. You guys are, you know, kind of treading water, and and throughout that season, you're 7-5 and in the Big Ten with six games left to play. You're going to uh, Iowa, number 20 in the country, very good Iowa team, and Mike Woodson returns to the lineup. Whitman is out for the year. And from that point on, from 7-5 and five in the Big Ten, you guys go on one of just the most magical runs in Indiana history. Uh, what do you remember from that year, from the time that Mike comes back to the lineup and the run that you guys make at the end of that year to ultimately win the Big Ten title? I remember starting that that season uh, saying that we were, you know, we we were going to be the best team um, because you, even though, uh, I mean, Woodson gets hurt, Whitman get hurt, uh, as you said, but the, the one of the big pieces that got hurt also was Steve Bushy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Bushy going down, uh, you know, we, we lose – we lose three of our top, you know, five, six players uh, right off the bat. Going down to uh, Iowa, I believe uh, it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Valentine's Day. I think it was in February. Correct. Yep. It may have been February 14th. Yeah, it was. And, and I remember Whitson coming back, and we were all so excited, you know, because that's our hero. And I'll, I'll never forget. Um, we we come down the court, and uh, the first play of the game, Woodson comes off a screen on the left side of the floor. I hit him with a pass, and he banks it in. And um, you know we 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 we're off. And yeah. in doing that game, um, you know we're we're playing well. And I go for a loose ball and uh, Craftsism, uh, who played uh, high school basketball in in Chicago. Uh, you know, he he and I collided. We we butted head, and I remember that I ended up. You know, my head was busted and everything else. But I, I kept saying to my, I just said to myself, I'm, I'm not gonna let you know Mike down because 
you know, Woody had just come back from back surgery. I didn't want to go out of the game. So uh, went went back, got got stitched up, came back, and, and we ended up winning that game. And and from that point on, we, we kept playing well and, and uh, you know, got to the tournament. Well, that was the first of six straight wins, which ends at home in Assembly Hall for senior night against number nine Ohio State with the Big Ten title on the line. What do you remember about that game and clinching the Big Ten for the whole team, but particularly for the seniors and and for Mike Woodson, who you, who you love so much, and for Coach Knight, who puts such great emphasis on winning the conference? Well, I, I'll, I'll go back to, to, you know, ignorance is bliss. And, <laughs> and I'll never forget, we're, we're, we're going over the scouting report and coach always called me Peewee, and <laughs> and and if and if you remember, Calvin Ramsey and Carter Scott were the two guards, and they had, um, you know, uh, uh, Clark Kellogg, mm. Herb Williams, uh, and and they were they were really big up front, but. Ramsey was the the guy who made the engine run, and I'll never forget. Uh, coach telling me, he goes, Pee Wee, okay, you got, you got Ramsey, and I, I want you to shut him down. Now, I think Kelvin Ramsey at that time may have been leading the Big Ten in scoring. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, Coach, I, I, I got him, no, no, no problem. And, um, you know, throughout the course of that game, it was a, it was a really, you know, tight play game. And we were down for um, a, a period, you know, a, a good long stretch during the game and just trying to hang on and, and not get blown out. And I remember, um, you know, we, we fought back. We, we, we got in the game. We got in control of it. And then Ohio State, they go down. They make a basket. Now they're up two. Uh, and there's a, there's a timeout. We come out of the timeout. Uh, we miss. There's a scramble for a loose ball. Um, and, and Herb Williams ends up fouling and Butch Carter and we're down two, and Butch Carter's got to go to the line to send us into overtime. And, uh, uh, and you want to talk about pressure, Butch goes, goes to the line on those two free throws. I mean, uh, with, with, with such incredible poise and confidence. Uh, then we go into the overtime. And when we go into the overtime, uh, I just said to myself, I, I can't let these guys down, be, you know, because Butch and Woody, they were, they were everything to us. And I just wanted to play well in the overtime. We ended up playing pretty good in the overtime, and we ended up winning the game. Do, do you remember what your final stat line was in that game? No, I don't. I just know we won. Well, look, it's no it's no surprise that you get a bunch of assists in a game and a bunch of points. You scored 21 points in that game. This was back in the day where box scores rarely printed assists, by the way. But you did something in that game that is remarkable, especially as you talk about the coach giving you the name of Pee Wee. You had 10 rebounds in that game. And I think one oh, wow. of, one of it, what's really amazing, Isaiah, in looking at the box scores throughout your career at Indiana and, and also in the pros but especially at Indiana, you were an incredible rebounder, especially from a guard position and somebody who's only, you know, six feet, six one. Uh, 
Was rebounding something that you took real pride in as just being a guy who could go mix it up and get in there? Absolutely. I mean, I, I wanted to, the way I was taught to play the game, uh, you know, the, the possession didn't end until your team secured the rebound. And, and my job was to, you know, I was taught that my job was to, to rebound the basketball, everything that, that came outside of the dotted line, uh, that, that was my rebound. And I was taught that was the area that I had to rebound in. So I, I took that very seriously. And throughout my whole basketball career, um, you know, you, you play defense, you get a stop, and then you get the rebound. And uh, I didn't know I had 10 rebounds that game, but I'm yeah. glad I did. Uh, <laughs> considering the great, the great rebounders that were playing in that game in terms of Clark Kellogg and Herb Williams, Turner, Tobert, I'm surprised I got one rebound. Yeah, you got 10. <laughs> you finished the year 14.6 points a game, five and a half assists, four rebounds a game, four rebounds per game at Indiana, which is just amazing. The, the season ends with a Big Ten title, but then unfortunately does end in a in a sour way in the oh. tournament in the second round, losing, of course, to our arch rival Purdue in a game that you go off on. But and, unfortunately, and, the rest of the team struggles. And you would split games with them in the regular season. But to have them end your season, one, what what can you tell us about how you were initiated into that rivalry as a freshman? And what did that loss at the end of the season give you guys going into the next season? Um, you know, losing to Purdue at that time, um, that, that was heartbreaking because – the, the final four was going to be in Indianapolis. And we knew, and I, I felt that if we can get back to Indianapolis, there was no way that, that we wasn't going to win a, a national championship. And we played at Kentucky, which was a curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, and, by the way, Isaiah, it's a curse for anyone to even be in Kentucky. Let's just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> And, I, and I'll never forget Purdue. They they just jumped out on us so early, uh, and and it seemed like everything was just going downhill, and it was going downhill. And I tried to do everything in my power to to make sure that we we didn't lose that game, uh, but we end up losing. And the thing that I'll never forget one of the most heartbreaking moments I've ever had at Indiana University was seeing Woodson and Carter take off their Indiana jerseys mm. and realizing that that would be the last time that they put those jerseys on and that would be the last time that I played with them. Oh, that was heartbreaking. I can uh, imagine your hero, Woodson and, and Butch, who was a senior leader, um, the thing that happens at the end of that season, besides just the loss to Purdue, is, again, this may fall in the category, again, of ignorance is bliss, but the United States decides to boycott the Olympics of 1980. You would have been on that 1980 Olympic team. Do you remember the disappointment when you heard that it was being boycotted and that you weren't going to have a chance to go, or were you kind of looking for a break? No, I, I was I was um, excited 
uh, to play in the Olympics and, and wanted to play in the Olympics. Uh, and and it was an honor to to be selected um, because at, at that time, I the year before, I had been voted the, um, I think they give uh, the, the Olympic, um, the, the National Junior Award or whatever it was. I, the best, the best underage who wasn't a pro, whatever that title was. Right. And, and, and I don't, and I'm having trouble remembering the title because remember at, at Indiana coach didn't believe in hmm. any individual awards. Mm -hmm. So anytime you want a, an MVP or, or um, a big 10 player of the year or anything like that, he, he never let you receive those awards. Or, as a matter of fact, didn't even tell you about it. So, <laughs> uh, uh, I remember. Uh, so, I, I'll get back to this story. But my yeah. freshman year, we we go to San Diego and and we play in a tournament there, and we actually won the tournament. I'm named MVP of the tournament, but but coach wouldn't let me go out and get the trophy because he said we didn't play well enough. <laughs> and, he goes, you, he goes, they may think you played like an MVP, but I thought you played like shit. So <laughs> back to the back to the Olympics. Uh, you know, I I definitely was looking forward to playing and I uh, was excited about the opportunity because at that time we were going to the, the Olympics were going to be in Russia. Um, and the the at that time russia had invaded afghanistan and so we boycotted the olympics because russia had invaded afghanistan and now we have afghanistan so yeah no kidding it's a but it's a it's a it's a interesting twist just the way things have worked out and the way time has has progressed but um you know the the thing that i enjoyed about not going to the olympics is they they still gave us all the free gear? Nice, Levi's uh, <laughs> vest and the Levi's blue jeans, and Levi's was the sponsor. And you got to remember now, I I didn't have clothes, I didn't have I didn't have anything. So when when Levi's gave us those jeans and that vest and that 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 cowboy shirt, if you go back and you look at any of my Indiana pictures uh, from from uh, from October to December, you will see me in all of those Levi's clothes <laughs> uh, because those, those those are the only clothes that I had. Wow. And my girlfriend during the during the Christmas break, uh, she actually, you know, she she got a job and she worked, uh, you know, actually cleaning houses during the Christmas break, and bought me a, a blazer that I could wear because I didn't have a blazer to, to wear. And coach always wanted you to wear a, a shirt and tie and a blazer. And I always wore my Levi vest because that's the only thing that I had. And my and my wife now, who was my girlfriend then, bought me a blazer. So that championship game, you see me with the blazer on, that was the only blazer that I ever had that I wore. That wow. is phenomenal. Now, you were such a talented player on on a loaded team i mean both of these teams but the the team we're coming into here the the historic team is 
it's something where it's been said, and I'd like you to speak to this, that Coach actually realizing how special you were started to adjust how the team played around you. Were you aware of that? Did you see some of the implementation of that as you guys were going into this season or, or even as a freshman? I didn't, I didn't see the, I don't think any of us kind of saw the implementation of it, but what we did see is that he just ignored when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of like, it was kind of like, yeah, that was good, but I'm act like I didn't see that because that's not how we want to play. <laughs> but but Pee Wee, you keep doing whatever you're doing, and, uh, but we're gonna pretend that that just didn't happen, okay? <laughs> Pee Wee got um, a hall pass. <laughs> yeah, but but it, it was an ignored hall pass, you know. It was, mm-hmm. You you didn't get the hall pass. You you got that. You just kind of got the nod, like okay, you can go to the bathroom. But if you get caught, okay, then you go into the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't do the pass. Coach was just brilliant in the way that he he nurtured us. He he brought us along, and you know the the one thing that I can say. Uh, during the course of that season, we struggled mightily, but at the end of the season, there was no denying who was the best team in America that was playing. And not only were we the best team, but we were the most dominant team. I don't know if there's been another team in, in the modern era that's won every single game during the tournament by double figures. Yeah, it is It is staggering, and we're going to get into some of those stats. I do want to ask you, because you brought up that you struggled at the beginning of that year. Uh, you do have, uh, you know, Butch Carter and, and Mike Woodson are gone. You do get Randy Whitman back now from injury. So you've got Whitman and Kitchell, who both have lost a year to injury in the prior two years. They're back with you. Um, you struggle. You lose to Kentucky in that tight game you mentioned earlier. You lose to North Carolina, who, of course, would uh, would meet again in, in the championship game at North Carolina. And a, and a top-10 Notre Dame team in between. Yes. And then when you look at the, the, the box scores and the stats and how the season played out, you're, you're struggling in the Big Ten until a game where you go to Iowa and – you lose at Iowa. It's a very uh, contentious game. You actually get ejected in that game, uh, which I'd love if you remember. I'd love to know why, if, if you could tell us a story around getting ejected. But something happens in that game that I'd love for you to speak to because um, I'd love your perspective on this player. Landon Turner, who was a physical specimen and a ton of talent, I went back and looked. 18 games prior to that Iowa game, Landon Turner had scored no more than eight points. And in many games, he was just benched. And then in that Iowa game, even though you lost, Landon Turner scores 18 points, you get ejected. And from that point on, that's the last game you guys lose all year. What can you tell us about Landon Turner and what happened to him in that season? Well, that, that was the, the, the brilliance of, of, of coach. Um, and, and Coach Knight having the courage to coach us and to make sure that we did the right things. And he would even sacrifice sometimes you losing a basketball game to make sure that you learned a lesson as a human being and as a person. 
you know, land, landing during that particular time before that, you know, we, we all had to go to class. I mean, we, you know, school was, it, it wasn't like, you know, we were, when, when Coach Knight said that I'm going to make sure that your son graduates from college and gets an education, he held true to his word. And Landon at that time hadn't been taking his academics seriously. Now, what I mean by seriously, yeah, he was passing and he could, you know, he definitely was, you know, qualified to play. But Coach knew how smart a person and player Landon Turner was and, you know, demanded that Landon not only get C's and just passing grades, but, you know, if you if you played at Indiana, you had to be walking up in there with some A's and some B's. You couldn't be coming in there with a, with a C average all the time <laughs> if you had the capability to, to achieve. And Landon was on punishment a lot because academically – he could he could do better, but he wasn't doing better. But by the NC2A standards, of course, he was, you know, he was able to play and qualified to play. But by Indiana standards and Coach Knight standards and what he expected out of Landon Turner was that you had to be, you know, a, a smart. So you had to be smart academically and smart as a player. So, you know, Landon finally got you know, his, his academics together uh, in terms of, you know, starting to get A's and B's in class as opposed to the C's. And and that's when everything started to turn around for us. Uh, Landon steps out on the floor. Of course, he's, you know, one of the, the best athletes playing at that time. And not only one of the best athletes playing, but, you know, we talk about players now who, who can play every position? Mm-hmm. Well, that was Landon Turner. You know, he could guard a uh, a center. He can guard a small forward. He can guard a shooting guard. Uh, he was strong. He he was fast. He could run. And when Landon Turner was inserted back into the team into our lineup, that's when we were able to fast break and run. Because then I had uh, I had Tobert and Turner as as the two fastest guys on our team in terms of sprints and running the floor they were the two fastest big men uh you know in the country so whenever we got a miss defensively we were able to get out and run and indiana teams traditionally didn't run fast breaks uh and and we were we would run and and then i had whitman and kitchell trailing who could really knock down uh you know the 18 20 foot wide open shots so we, we were able to push it, get it out in transition, and put pressure on the defense and compress the defense uh, into the paint where they had to guard Tobert or Turner. And then I had Whitman and, and, and Kitchell trailing. So we were, we, we, we were pretty solid and solidified at that point in time as a basketball team. Well, you, you rattle off five wins after that to win the Big Ten, second year in a row, and now it's time for this magical dominant run. Starts off with a beatdown of Maryland and Dayton, but then you have the very rare and, and now non-existent opportunity to play a couple of tournament games in Assembly Hall. What was that like to have home court advantage uh, against a couple of really good teams in UAB and St. Joseph's? Well, 
the the IU faithful and you know playing at Indiana University and standing on the eye, um, you know at at half court, there is no greater feeling, and and you talking about um, an intimidating crowd. All, all students at, at Indiana University, not only do they know how to get up for a game, but the home court advantage that they always gave us. We knew that there was no way that we were going to lose a game playing at Assembly Hall. Just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to just highlight a couple things on the run-up to this Final Four. Uh, by the way, in that six-game win streak to win the Big Ten Championship, you also had a game at Michigan that will is for the ages uh, against Michigan where you scored. Do you remember how many points you scored in the win at Michigan near the end of that year? Uh, I don't. You sc- I, I, I know we won, though. You did win, mm-hmm. and you scored 39 points with six rebounds. I love that you oh, know. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 39 points. And then and Ward mentioned the I guess Mary- I had a good game. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those games where coach, coach had to do a lot of ignoring. He had to just ignore a lot of what was going on. Yeah, I, I, know, I know we won. Um, <laughs> but that, that – so we – we never, like I said, the, the individual goals, scoring, all of that. You, you, that that wasn't the focus. the The focus was: Did your team win? Did your team lose? Did you execute? How well did you execute? And did you stop the other team from from executing? That was that was the focus, and that's all you really looked at. We'll talk about stopping the other team from executing in the final four. You play a very tough LSU team. You're in Philadelphia. It's the final four, and and LSU actually comes out very strong in that game and has a very good first half. But the second half, you guys absolutely shut them down. We we talked to Whitman recently and told him what the score was in the second half, and even he was shocked in the second half of that LSU game. Would it surprise you to know that you won forty to nineteen? Oh wow! <laughs> they, they scored. They scored nineteen points. <laughs> Probably a lot I'm, of it was in junk I'm, time. I'm I'm I'm, dis, I'm disappointed that 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 they got nineteen points in the second half. They, <laughs> they, there's no way they should have got nineteen points on us. <laughs> well, you win the final four game. And now you're playing in the national championship game. And as Ward said to Randy uh, the lat- when we talked to him just a few days ago, as if playing for the national championship is not enough, the president is shot the day that you're playing for the national championship. Now, we know ignorance is bliss, but when the president is shot, are you aware of what's going on at this point? Oh, we definitely are aware of, of what's going on. We... Um... As a matter of fact, I, I'll never forget it. We were we were all in a room uh, watching All My Children at that time. It was either All My Children or One Life to Live. Uh, and it was uh, myself, uh, Steve Risley, Whitman Kitchell, and I, and I think Jimmy Thomas may have been in the room also, but I'm not sure. But I, but I know we were all like, we were all in the room together and, and they, and they go, uh, we interrupt this program, and Risley, out of nowhere, and, and he was making a joke. He goes, oh, shit, the president's been shot. Oh, and oh. sure enough, it comes on that, you know, the president's been shot, and, and you know, we were all in shock. We were all amazed that, um, that, that this had happened, and, you know, for, for that, 
hour or two, everybody is just glued to their television, uh, you know, and shocked, not knowing what was getting ready to happen. Um, and that was definitely remember, remember where I was, what was said, and, you know, in terms of us playing the game or not playing the game, we, we just always assumed that we were playing and we stayed ready to play. How much did you want revenge? I mean, obviously you want to win the game because it's the national title, but North Carolina did beat you guys pretty badly earlier in the year. Was that extra incentive to show them that you were a different team and you were the best team in the country for the final game of the year? I, I definitely personally wanted to play well that game uh, because uh, they they had beat us, uh, you know, pretty good. And um, I, you know, we, we, we didn't, we didn't handle their, their traps and their rotations earlier in the season, as well as I thought we could have handled it. And as well as I, I knew I could handle it. And I remember making the suggestion to, to coach, uh, North Carolina liked to, they, they wanted to trap you and and since I was the main ball handler, they would trap me and get the ball out of my hands and it forced someone else to be a playmaker. And the suggestion that I made to coach was that, you know, as opposed to as opposed to wasting me in the trap, let them trap Whitman or 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 Jimmy Thomas and let me be the the receiver coming out of the trap and now if i'm the receiver coming out of the trap then we got a chance to get the ball in in the playmaker's hands where we can either i can either drive to the basket or i can make a shot or get somebody else involved as opposed to being wasted in the trap and you know he made that adjustment at at halftime and you know the rest is history you guys light them up in the second half. You run run away with it. And here's this kid from Chicago, now in Philadelphia, a national champion. What did that feel like? What did that mean to you and your teammates to come all the way back from such a, a rocky start at the beginning of the season and be atop the basketball world? You know, it, 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 just, it just showed us. And, and it gave us not only the basketball belief, but the life belief that, you know, if you if you continue to persevere and you continue to overcome the obstacles that are thrown in front of you, you can grow. You you can you can grow and you can be better. You don't always have to settle for the disappointments that are happening in your life or in your basketball career at that particular time. The next day, you can always get better. You can always learn from from those hard times. And the way we the way we ended the season and the way that season went, I don't think there had been a team uh, up until that time that had won a national championship that had lost nine games. That's right. Uh, I think that I think we were the first team to do that. You were. Uh, and just to be able to overcome and get better and keep working and keep working. That just gave us the belief, uh, not only as individuals, but also as a team. 
Well, the legacy that you left behind was unquestionable. It is something that every Indiana fan still remembers fondly, or those that were born after it go back and look at clips on YouTube and and think of fondly. And our parents tell us stories, uh, and we pass those down to our kids about the great number 11 wearing the cream and crimson. And before we let you go, we would be remiss if we did not ask you, jumping forward about 40 years from then, just a few weeks ago, back in Bloomington, something very special happened when the 80 team got recognized. But of course, most most importantly, Coach Knight returned home. You were a big part of that day. What did that day mean to you and to your teammates to have your coach back on that court together again? I, I think for all of us, it was one of the most historical, important moments in Indiana basketball. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, there, there are four pillars in, in, in basketball and, and that I think of when I think of college basketball. That's Dean Smith at North Carolina, John Wooden at UCLA. Then you got Coach K right now yep. at Duke. And you got Bayheim in Syracuse and Coach Knight at Indiana. I mean, and and for a long time, uh, Coach Knight not being recognized or being at Indiana, uh, you know, the the basketball community, in my opinion, you know, it was it was displaced. It wasn't right. So to have Coach Knight come back and stand on the eye, and have the students give him that type of applause and you know the, and this is where you gotta, you, you really gotta applaud the the IU basketball community and the IU students, because for them to cheer the way they cheered for him, and to give him that type of ovation, uh, that that outpouring of love, is something that all of us will remember forever, and the basketball community and the basketball world has been set back right because coach Knight had that day at Indiana well said amen and when you talk about the impact he had on you I I just want to say here as we're concluding how much impact you have on all of us who are IU fans and it means so much to us not only to go back and look at the clips of you and your Indiana days wearing that uniform and bringing glory to the cream and crimson, but to then see you go off into the NBA and represent the university so well with the best players in the world and and to ascend to become one of the greatest basketball players of all time. It it has meant so much to us and the program and, and the state that takes so much pride in the program and the players that come out of there and to see you back to celebrate with your teammates the return of Coach Knight. It just made us all feel like one big happy family again. And when when you're there and, and you're in the building, it just feels like, as you said, all is right in the world again. And we just can't wait now for, for the chapters to be written moving forward with Indiana University basketball and to know that you and your teammates and all former players who played with Coach will feel that wholeness again. So thank you for being a part of that way back when and as recently as a couple of months ago. 
I say you're welcome and, and, and thank you. I truly appreciate all that you guys do in terms of just just keeping the history alive and 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 sharing these stories because it's it's important that um, you know Coach Knight and and the players um, you know and our fan base and everything else is remembered and you know there's there's no place like Bloomington, Indiana, and there's no place like Indiana University. Isaiah freaking Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, number 11, Pee Wee. Zeke. Pee Wee. We didn't ask him if we could call no, him Zeke. I know no. I was intimidated. <laughs> Mr. Zeke, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I feel wrong even saying Zeke now. I, I just, I cannot believe it. Like, it's it's one of those, because he was so great for so long at the next level, and that's that's how we were introduced to him. Of course, from the earliest memories of the bad boys, you always knew he was a Hoosier, but it wasn't something we experienced. So it's almost like hard to believe, like, he's one of us. Yeah. He's one of us. And you could watch the clips and you're like, oh, my God, look how fast and smart he was. But then then to see him back in Assembly Hall with Coach, it just made it so real and present as opposed to, to grainy, low-res footage. And it's funny that a guy who's nicknamed is, is Pee-wee from Coach <laughs> has the presence that Isaiah does because he does. When Isaiah walks into a room, when he walked into Assembly Hall, obviously Coach dwarfs everything. But when I've seen Isaiah back, he was back for a North Carolina game a few years ago in the in the end of the Crean years. In fact, I think it was Crean's last year when we beat North Carolina. Isaiah was back. He has this presence about him, and it's inspiring, and it's impressive, and it's all because of just this thing that he had that separates the really good players from the transcendent players. And you wonder how much is nature versus nurture. Like, was was that always his destiny? You know, and I don't think it's one or the other. It's, in my mind, usually a blend. Yeah. But when you talk about growing up when there's nothing in the fridge and your mom is still this rock who looks looks away from money to the bigger picture and the longer run about what's better for her soon-to-be man— and and then to to be influenced by people like Coach Knight or even Mike Woodson when he first showed or up, George Talaferro and these other people that he mentioned. It's he he made a point over and over again about how important it was that and how blessed he was to have these people around him. But to your point, that's the nurture part. Mm-hmm. The nature part is there's something special inside of him that allowed him to listen to those people because there are plenty of people who don't. Yeah. And I go back to his mom, and, and you brought it up again. I I just don't understand to wonder where your next meal is coming from, to have a son who can play basketball at the next level and get a scholarship, whether it's to Iowa or DePaul or to, who cares, Montana State. And they're coming to you and saying, here's some extra money or here's a job or here's some gifts. How you turn that down? It's remarkable. I I don't know if I would have the strength to do that if given the same situation. Hell, but, even given not the same situation, <laughs> I would take the gifts. But but she passes along those genetics and that uh, that conviction, and her boy wins not only a national title at IU but a couple with the Pistons, and has had this incredible career post playing days where it's like in an age where we're all just scrambling right now with what to do in this time of self isolation. He's busier than ever. 
He is. And I, I just, like, I don't want to lose sight of, and I don't think you and I do, he's one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. Period. Done. Full stop. Full stop. Yeah. He was put on the, the top 50 that was done, you know, many years ago in the NBA. Bill Simmons got him, like, at, like, 23. I mean, he won back-to-back championships in the NBA, he leading had to, a team. He had to take down Jordan to win those, by the way. And Bird. Yeah, yeah. No, the, and, and, and Magic. Magic. Yeah. Like, he played in the golden era of basketball with the greatest players who ever played, and he is up there with them. It's yep. Magic, it's Larry, it's Isaiah, it's Michael. It's like, it's remarkable. And I just am like pinching myself that we got to talk to him. He has been this, I, I just don't think that there's been a bigger figure uh, from a presence and what he's accomplished other than Coach Knight in the history of Indiana basketball that you and I have have been around for. Absolutely. And it's... uh. And and also the guy's been through some real life stuff, mm-hmm. and and you know, um, it's not all peaches and cream. No, and and I think that some of the lessons he learned at Indiana when it wasn't all peaches and cream has helped him persevere and get through that. Uh, but just focusing on his Indiana career and his basketball career, he he did the thing that you and I and millions of people love and get meaning from in playing basketball. He did it better than virtually everyone who has ever done it. And <laughs> that's amazing. And, and for somebody who could be so full of himself, so full of ego, he doesn't remember individual stats. I love it. He, I remember we won. He made such a point. I remember we won. And I just and how lo- we executed. And how we executed. And that he, he started it at the very beginning of giving a Hoosier shout. Like yes. this guy who's who's had the world at his feet for decades he now, he, he still loves it. He still, and, and that's why being a Hoosier, whether you play it or not, transcends so much of it. We just all have this love for the university, it, the program, the town. Coach Knight. Coach Knight. And, and that he's he still... That makes him so relatable uh, in in for mere mortals like ourselves to be like, but he just loves I, I you like us too. And and because we've talked about this, you and I have never had more passion for Indiana University and more of a connection to it and loved it more than we do right now. Yeah. And he talked about he loves it more now because he can look at it with perspective and realize how important and special it was. But when you're a 20 year old kid an 18 year old, 18 and 19 year old kid there, you have no, you're just, he was looking for his next meal. He just wanted to win the game in front of him, make the coach happy. Mm -hmm. He didn't know how important it all meant to anyone. And now he looks back and he gets to feel that it's why with age you do connect more. And I didn't do this in the intro because I wanted to focus it on just what he did at Indiana, truthfully. Mm-hmm. But, and also because I wanted to maximize our time with him because he right. was really busy. He squeezed us in. He's got a lot going on. But just listen to this number two overall draft pick, 1981, NBA rookie of the year, two time back to back NBA champion, MVP of the ni- NBA ni- finals, 1990, 12 time NBA all star, mm. 12. Mm. MVP of the all star game, 1984 and 86. And by the way, but I know that this last year was an all-star game where people cared finally. Right. In the 80s, they cared. Yeah. They cared who won the game, and they cared who won the MVP. Two-time all-star MVP. World champion 
Uh, he was on the world champion team in 1994, but he was injured okay. the, in the FIBA World Champions. NBA Hall of Famer, one of only seven Hoosiers, and I think of one of only four players, if I'm not mistaken, or five players, and one of the 50 greatest players ever as named by the NBA list. Ah, and we got to talk to him for an hour. And to bring it back to IU, while he was already accl- uh let me start that again. While he was accumulating these awards early on, including Rookie of the Year, he was going back to Indiana in the summer, and he was getting that degree. And what I didn't bring up, which I would have loved to in a, in a longer conversation, was that his mom made him sign a contract with her that he would go back to get his degree. They went to a lawyer. When, when he decided to leave for the NBA? When he decided to leave for the NBA, he, they went to their family lawyer and drew up a contract so he would go back and graduate. Did he walk, do you know? Did he walk at a graduation ceremony? His mom did for him because oh, he couldn't make it. Because it was in the May when they're in the middle of the NBA season. Yes, and he also, and I don't know if he started it that, like right when he graduated, but soon thereafter he established the Isaiah Criminal Justice Studies Scholarship. Wow. And he's put over 100 kids who couldn't, who would otherwise have been kicked out of school because they couldn't afford tuition. He's put over 100 kids through that program. Absolutely incredible. I mean, we just we talk about it. Mount Rushmore, the, the 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 goose. As I was seeing you search for those words, the goosebumps just went down my shoulders. Yeah, that was Isaiah Thomas, man. That was Isaiah Thomas. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No e, no i, but, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.